Because sometimes we'll walk in and there's a new technology being deployed or some large change going on in the organization. And I sit down with the leader and I'm like, what does success look like at the end of the day? And why are you doing this? And often I get an answer like this. Everyone else is doing it. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how Ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Modern Business Operations. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting Amanda, the founder and chief wonder officer at Wonder Services. Amanda, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. It's a great thing to be here together today to talk a little bit about procurement and operations and where we have been and maybe where we're going. So thank you. Yeah. For having me. No, I'm excited. I guess maybe simplest way to start. Tell us a little bit about you, about Wonder Services. The, the wonderful Chief Wonder Officer title. Okay. All right. So I was a practitioner for 16 years in procurement. So I started in corporate America and I had the lovely opportunity of working on large scale transformational change over my career. So it started really with three SAP deployments. And then I went on to all kinds of different procure tech implementations, insourcing, outsourcing, merger and acquisitions new property opening. So anything that was going on in procurement, there really wasn't the day-to-day contract negotiations or sourcing activity I was usually involved in. And a little over four and a half years ago, I decided to go to the dark side and start my own company, which is Wonder Services. And it was really with the focus of helping as many companies as I could, as many leaders in procurement as I could, to be successful in their digital transformations. So while Wonder Services doesn't really focus on the technical aspects of that implementation, we focus on everything else on the functional side. So project management, change management, process improvement work. And we've been doing that successfully now for the last four and a half years and having a blast doing it. Chief Wonder Officer, just so you know, I'm always curious. I'm always wondering about how could we do this better? Is there a technology that could help us? Or... Do we need to be thinking about this kind of outside of the box instead of what we know is our current perspective, if you will? And so when I started my own company, I was like, I can make up whatever title I want. <laughs> and so Chief Wonder Officer, I was. I love it. It shows the innovation and the and thinking out of the box. I like it. Yeah, thank um, you. Maybe an obvious place you know, to think through quite the four years you chose with <laughs> process and figure things out. Like I could say like, oh, what changed in the last decade? Like what changed in the last week almost? Yes. Where, what are you seeing? What is your biggest takeaways, I guess, when you think through some of the changes in the last couple of years? Supply right. chain is crazy. Just, it's a lot. Yeah. So when I left corporate, I left what I would call my dream job. I was working for my mentor. I built a brand new team. Like I was having a blast. And we're getting at MGM resorts. Like you buy everything from Bulletproof Fest for canine units all the way through high-end wine. So it was just a crazy environment to work in. I always told myself when I started, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Either I'm going to be successful or if I'm not, I'm going to go back to corporate. But COVID was never in that mix. Supply chain disruptions were never even a thought in my mind of what we were going to run into as an organization. But here's the thing that I always think about in procurement. Like I started in procurement now almost 20 and a half years ago. And when I started, it was very focused on cost savings. We were trying to save costs for the company, looking at SGNA, looking at CODs, looking at our gross margin. And that was the focus. You fast forward over the last two years in particular. Now we're being asked 
to do a lot of work that is not internally focused, but externally focused. I would like to say world focused, supplier diversity, ESG. You have innovation that is expected. We have to work across borders, across all kinds of countries and geopolitical atmospheres to understand, can we get the supply that we need to fulfill the demand from our clients? And oh, by the way, the customer demand is all over the board. So we actually don't know what they want anyway. So it's been this huge transformation in this space and procurement is being asked to do so much more. I like to tell people that right now is procurement's time to shine. Well, well, let's stop by clicking on that because I agree with you. Like, I think I've personally seen it also hosted several other people on the podcast in the past where that transition from being the center that is very simply is meant to save cost and reduce spend into a point where it's more strategic, maybe innovative. And like you were saying right now, I want to say executive in the sense you need to think outside, kind of like think about world changes and how they're going to affect and predict, you know, that's kind of why the word executive came to me because a lot of time that's the biggest difference in those layers of how much you actually spend your time on trying to predict the future versus how much you're handling the day to day. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder though, like, where do you think that folks going through that transition, is that something that people in that space embrace? Are they pushing back on it? Are they surprised by it? Are they waiting for it and saying like, oh, finally, I was waiting for this to happen my entire career. Like, how would you paint that map? Such a good question. So procurement traditionally, and this is actually why I started writing and being active on LinkedIn is because I went to a conference about 15 years, maybe 14 years into my career. And they were talking about getting a seat at the table. And I about walked out of the room because I was like, we've been talking about a seat at the table since the early 2000s when I started in procurement. And I'm like, either we're asking the wrong question or we don't like having a seat at the table. So fast forward to now, we're forced into a situation where we have a seat at the table. If you don't have a seat at the table as a procurement organization right now, then you're missing something big in the organization. Like there, you should have that seat at the table. And I hope, I pray that conversation is behind us. However, there's also an aspect of procurement that I think we're still living in the old times. A lot of the organizational structures, a lot of the technology that we're using, a lot of the culture and skill sets that we have are based off of that old paradigm of that we're here for cost savings and cost savings alone, where now we're asked to be so much more strategic, more executive. I think that calls for a different lens on technology, different lens on process, different lens on even how we're organized to get the work done. And I think right now, as hard as it has been over the last few years for procurement organizations, I think we have a lot of people that are just burnt out because the work hasn't been matching the structure of how to get the work done. So tell me more about this. So first of all, I like the concept of you should have a seat on the table whether you like it or not type of thing. Yes, right. Um, <laughs> that is the reality. And so like plays the music type of thing. I like that a lot. The burnout piece, if you combine them for a second, I think the burnout to me in general, unrelated only to just in general, even in sports, right? With you burn out, it means you are not necessarily using your energy correctly, right? I'm not running marathons or anything like that. So I don't really understand anything on it, but I definitely understand the concept of you need to pace yourself, right? You need to understand where to push 
when to not push, you know, and that's true to any sport, but I think that's true to literally anything we do. We were talking before the podcast about young kids and, mm-hmm. you know, that's not different either. You need to understand where to put your energy. So how does that come about? I mentioned the old structure might not fit the job anymore. Where is the leak of energy? Where, where is the energy misused? Okay. So I'm no expert either, but I talk to a lot of people in procurement. So what I'm hearing across the board is that they're being asked to do so much that is new and unknown that it takes a lot of energy to get to the results that they want. So when I think about a lot of the work that we do is process improvement and change management work. And when you see somebody who's struggling and overwhelmed in their job, it's usually a mismatch between what they know and what is familiar and what they're being asked to do. And if you do that over and over again, you expend a lot of energy, which results into burnout at the end of the day. So that's what I'm hearing from these conversations, particularly a lot of women in procurement. That's a lot of my network. And they're just saying that there's just an ongoing feeling of being overwhelmed, which makes it feel like they're expending a lot of energy on new areas and new skills and new changes that they weren't expecting in the world around us, that it's just this constant burden on their energy where it might push them to new levels, but to get there, it's really hard and causes burnout. That's a real balancing act, right? Because at the end of the day, I've said many times through my career, and, and I think I've said many times through this podcast by now, so like change and progress are the same thing. It's just yeah. think about it from a positive perspective or you, or you think about it from like a neutral to negative perspective people think mm-hmm. about change that way. A lot of these new skills that you're talking about, a lot of those new asks, is there opportunity there for, for them or where's the line? This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin's process experience platform seamlessly wraps around existing policies and systems, allowing internal service teams to do more with what they already have. Build process experiences that are personalized for each requester and use AI to automate the intake, triage, and resolution of every request. Maximize adoption, compliance, and efficiency with no change management and no code. And that's why I keep on saying it's time for procurement to shine. Like it's our time because we have the attention. There's a need and a value driver within organizations. But I think leaders have to be really strategic at this point in time, not just to pile on new work. They have to think about this strategically. Learning something new, like we've all been through it in life. We've tried something new before and we get three weeks into it and we don't do it anymore. (laughs) Um, Because it takes a lot of energy. And sometimes you're like, I don't want to wake up at five o'clock in the morning to work out anymore. Like it just, because it takes that extra energy to build that muscle and that habit. So as leaders within our procurement, I think they need to be looking at how work is getting done and how to enable that new set of work within the team that they have. So it could be, we like to call it like eight different parameters of what to look at in organizations. It could be your skill set, which is people. What type of skills do you have? What type of skills do you need to develop? What's the culture, the data that you're using, the insights you get from the data, the metrics have a big deal. Like a lot of people still use cost savings as their primary metric, but the teams are being asked to do so much more. So that's, again, just a misalignment in expectations in the work that's being done. You have tech, of course, process improvement, policies, and the organizational structure. So all of those different parameters, I think, 
leaders need to be looking at saying, how do we need to do this differently so that we can enable our team to be successful and helping them along the journey so this change can be exciting versus a change that results in burnout. Where do you see the biggest leverage and where do you see the biggest pushback on those eight when you work with organizations? Well, work with, here's what I'll say. Most of the time, people get so focused on the technology. Like if it's a technology deployment, people are like, so with blinders on that the technology needs to get up and running that they forget about everything else, which is not a good thing. And change also burns out people with technology changes, burn out people too. What I will say though, the most often overlooked aspects of that change are culture and the data and the metrics. I don't know if it was a consulting firm that came up with this, but there was just like for the last 15 years, it was people process technology when it comes to change. But you forget you're living in a current culture. Like you have to understand that you have data insights that you need to get your arms around and you have metrics that are incentivizing people. So all of that has to come together to create a true change within the organization. You know, sometimes I feel like technology, and I'm speaking as a technologist, right? Yeah, true. Uh, technology can both be the cure, but can also be the thing that actually takes you over the edge because so many people, and you see it in personal life too, obviously, but especially in enterprises and in situations like you say, where you feel like you need to make it you need to make leap quickly. And it's almost like the easiest thing is just slap some logo on it. Well, silver bullet that's going to help you. Yes. Exactly. And then you spend all this money, you spend all this time, and then guess what? Nothing happens. And then it causes even worse because now what happened, the organization gets PTSD from that case. And then they get slower to actually embrace the technology that will help them. So it's just like this weird cycle. I think you said something that, that I think is actually quite quite fundamental, which when you think about the people process system, you know, sort of diagram, I don't think it's wrong. I just think it's, I think there's multiple levels or layers or angles you can look at it. And when you talk about culture, that's a different angle for the people. And when you talk about yeah. metrics, to me, that's a different angle to the process. And I fully agree with it. I think if you don't know what you're solving, it just it doesn't matter how much money you spend on it. It reminds me of something that I've heard at one point. I don't remember where anymore, but several years ago. And it really helped both live my life and honestly with me and my wife to go through decisions sometimes. And it's okay. a very simple concept, but I think that mistake is aligned with your point about the metrics. The concept is if it's a problem that can be solved with money, it's not a problem, it's an expense. Mm. And that simple idea is basically, oh, it's pretty good, oh, right? That's it, it, it helps you separate the type of the problem. And yeah. obviously in the personal life, it's nice because if it's an expense, you just know it's an expense, you stop worrying about it. And it's only a problem if you can't actually throw technology on it or throw money on it and all that stuff. If we go back to the world of enterprise operations, specifically procurement, that yeah. are going through that transformation, if you don't know what it is that you're measuring, if you don't know what it is that you're trying to solve, if you're not focusing on the metric first, if you don't make, make sure you have that culture, then it's still a problem. It's not an expense. You need to first understand that. And then you will get a group. Okay, now it's an ex Now we know what the, why don't we know how to measure it? Now let's put the right tools, the right investments, the right whatever 
and solve that problem. But I, uh, yeah, I like that. We actually start on most projects. There's an exception. I have a couple of you, but most of our projects we start with success metrics. Because sometimes we'll walk in and there's a new technology being deployed or some large change going on in the organization. And I sit down with the leader and I'm like, what does success look like at the end of the day? And why are you doing this? And often I get an answer like this. Everyone else is doing it. Like, <laughs> and it's cool. That might be true. But why are you doing it? And why are you doing it now? And how are we going to measure success at the end of the day? Because that measurement of success really helps you create like a true north is what I like to tell people. It helps keep your scope in check. It helps make your key decisions during design. It helps with change management. It helps with user management, like all across the board. If you can clearly articulate, this is what we're trying to go after. And here are the metrics that are going to measure that success. It helps everything fall in line. So simple and so hard. (laughs) Yes. When you're in the middle of it, like when you're in pre-project mode, and you're in the middle of it, it's really hard to take a step back and say, what do I strategically need to do to build a foundation of success? Because most people just want to, they finally got the investment to jump into the project. They just want to go. That's so often what gets us off kilter. Absolutely. No, it's a great point. Yeah. It's a good advice too. What is maybe speaking on advice, when you think through the journey you've had from corporate to now having your business helping different corporates, seeing that transformation, what is a good advice that you personally got through your career that you kind of like, this is worth paying forward? Okay. This is again, fairly simple, but it was profound and it has had a lasting impact in how I approach every single relationship. I was three months out of college and I had a presentation I needed to give to the CEO of the organization about a major change that we were deploying. And instead of my leader having that conversation, she allowed me to have the exposure to have that conversation with the CEO and his direct reports. And I was freaking out. I was like, I am 21 years old, like freaking out right now. And she sat me down and she said, Amanda, everyone puts their pants on the same way in the morning. Then she went on to explain, everyone is just a person. They have their unique perspectives and backgrounds and questions. But at the end of the day, no matter the rank, the title, et cetera, everyone is just a person at the core. So if you treat people like people, you're going to go a long way in this world, right? We tend to forget that in business dealings, like they become a supplier instead of a person on the end of the table, or they become a technology founder instead of just another person on the other end of the table. And particularly in procurement, they can cause adversarial relationships But if you just understand that that's another person and treat them like a person and build a relationship, you can get so much further. Very true. Very true. I would add one tiny thing. All wear the same pants, the pants the same way. And all, you know, just trying to get their job done or get their thing. Do the best that you can. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's so much easier to understand. It's so much easier to create empathy too. If you're just realizing, wait a second, what is that person trying to achieve? If I was trying to do their job. What would I do? You realize also the time it's actually pretty easy to predict. Yeah. It's pretty logical. And I agree. I, I think it's a great advice. Thank you. This was a blast. If people want to continue, well, work with you or just geek out on those topics, where can we find you? Is that Twitter or now X? I need to get used to that. Yeah. So people can find me mostly on LinkedIn. Just look up my name. I'm one of the only Amanda Prochaskas out there. And I'm recently on 
X, but I'm not posting quite a bit yet. I'm trying to figure out what that whole community is like and research a little bit before I'm really active out there. So LinkedIn is the place to find me. They can look up more information about my company at wonderservices.net and a lot of great information out there, blogs, et cetera, about the topics that we talked about today. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. That's been great and great advice. And thank you for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkeen.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Tonkin community at tonkeen.com slash community.